0: I think my biggest point would probably be do what makes you happy, not what makes other people happy. And I think my second point would be negative emotions also have a purpose.
1: Always keep your feet on the ground, your head in the stars, and stay in the light. Welcome to the Science of Light. I'm your host, Rosemary. And that was a super awesome clip from the interview guest on today's episode. Her name is Dr. Marie Cross, and she is a professor of biobehavioral health at Penn State University. She self-described her studies as health psychology, so she has a master's and PhD, a doctorate in these kind of fields, and she self-described that as being the relationship between body and mind and she also has experience with yoga she'll talk more about that she's practiced yoga most of her life so that's influenced her study so I really hope you enjoy this episode I hope you learn a lot from Dr. Marie Cross from Marie she's so sweet and humble. As I did, and she also has what I would describe as an open-door policy, like, you know, those professors that you can just go talk to anytime you want. She'd be happy to be reached out to, um, so I'll include, uh, how to find her in the show notes, and I really hope you enjoy this episode because I think it fits perfectly in with what we've been talking about the last episode and the next episode I have planned for you about, um, positivity, what's toxic positivity, what's not, Um, We'll get into that in this episode and learn about, she specifically studies smiling, fake versus real smiling, but just brought in an expert for you to learn some more about these psychology principles of positivity and what's called positive affect. So Marie describes it really well. Let's dive right into it. I hope you enjoy it. And please remember also quickly that I have my scheduler up on my website now if you'd like to schedule a reading, and I actually just started a new Facebook group for yoga and astrology, so you can find that on my link tree on my Instagram, or I can also link it in the show notes. All that stuff, how to find me and how to schedule time with me is always in the show notes, or I'll usually say it all at the end of the episode, so stick around. Glad you're here. Okay, welcome to another episode of the Science of Light. I'm your host Rosemary. Today, I'm joined by Marie Cross, who is a professor at Penn State University in the Behavioral Health Department. But I guess psychology uh, is what a lot of what you do. Um, I discovered you and your work through a friend of yours on one of my hikes, which is so cool. I I talk about this a lot that like I meet really cool people on the trail. And I was talking about this podcast and your friend was like, oh my God, my friend Marie would be perfect. You have to interview her. So here we are uh, a couple months later, but I'm really glad you're here. So can you tell us um, a little bit more about your story? And uh, she kind of alluded and you've alluded to yoga fits into your story. So have at it. Tell us about you.
0: Yeah, it does. So uh, I've been practicing yoga for, I guess, gosh, half of my life now. I started. When I was 15, um, I had scoliosis, and the doctor said, you know, this might be something you want to try in case you start to develop pain later in life. And thankfully, I haven't, and I really thank yoga for a lot of that. So I, you know, started in my teenage years, and as I kept going with my practice, I realized the part that I really loved about yoga was the connection between your physical and your mental health. It's not just Doing the physical poses, um, and it's not just, you know, sitting and doing, you know, absolutely nothing, although I do like meditation as well. It's kind of that beautiful symmetry of both. So I went to college at UCLA and started to study psychology, which I've always been super interested in. And about halfway through, I took a health psychology class. And it was just kind of that, you know, moment where everything came together. And I thought, wait, this is the connection between your physical and mental health. There's a whole field dedicated to this. I, I had no idea. So that was kind of my huge aha moment that this practice that I'd had, you know, that had really Meant so much to me over the course of my life could also connect with my academic pursuits. So it was all kind of just a, a I guess, a wonderful trip from there. Um, I decided to pursue my PhD in health psychology, which I literally describe to people as the connection between your physical and your mental health. And I uh, then, after I completed my PhD, I found a Faculty position in the Department of Biobehavioral Health at Penn State, which I uh, also felt was very, you know, just kind of right up my alley. So I've been pursuing this same connection that yoga really began, you know, what, 15 or 16 years ago now. Um, So that's kind of how I find myself where I am today at Penn State.
1: Nice. That is so cool. I love that too with the scoliosis because I'm in a yoga therapy training and we just actually had a module on scoliosis and it's super common and um, like a lot of people have it, not not just they're born with it, but they get some kind of imbalance from using their life so they get what's called functional scoliosis. So that's really cool. I'm glad to hear that you've been able to find a lot of balance in your body that way. Um so yes. do, do you bring – so I have your CV in front of me, and that's where I have a lot of <laughs> questions about the research you've done. It's so – like it's fantastic. I love sure. it. I love reading the stuff you've done. But just a quick <laughs> preliminary question. Do you um, – it doesn't look like specifically yoga philosophy comes up a lot, um, but I can definitely see the links. So how – can you spe- say a little bit more about – how maybe yoga informs that or cuz okay, the reason i'm asking let me preface that yeah. the reason i'm asking is because i did my undergraduate research with on like yoga for trauma and i started to realize that like um while it's good to do a lot of that research it it's it's hard it's hard to do a good study and there seems to need to be a lot more research like you are doing that's like the mind body connection uh like psychosomatics i've seen that word a lot come up um so could you say a little bit more about that?
0: Of course. Yeah, so when I uh was in college I was really trying to figure out, you know, what part of health psychology am I most interested in because it's a field, you know, like most fields it spans all kinds of different areas. And I thought about going into, you know, some researching yoga specifically. Um, But I realized for a variety of reasons that when I really distilled it down, what I was interested in was the connection between positive emotions and health. That kind of began with yoga, especially, you know, I'd taken classes along the way where my instructors tried to foster Gratitude or mm-hmm. loving kindness or ver- compassion, various positive emotions along the way. And I found that even though I was passionate about the connections between yoga in general and health, what I really, really wanted to research for like the rest of my life <laughs> was the connections between positive emotions and health. So that's where I kind of started my program of research and probably more of what you're seeing on my CV. Um, And then kind of from there, I started thinking about, well, what are some outward expressions of positive emotions? Like what do we, you know, how do we communicate with other people when we're feeling happy or grateful or whatever it might be? And of course, the answer there is smile. We often smile when we're feeling positive. We smile to convey a number of various emotions to people. And so then I kind of started to go down that route, like what can smiling specifically be beneficial for and is smiling connected to health, which people really hadn't asked that question before or Mm -hmm. only a few people had. And so that's where I really started to dig in.
1: Awesome. Well, what a great segue because that's actually several of my questions about your research stem from that because... Um, like, so I've done a few episodes recently and I, my little tagline for this show is like stay in the light, you know, but I am very sensitive to the criticisms and aware of the criticisms of, um, toxic positivity. So it seems like your research around positive affect is going to answer a lot of questions that I have and that my listeners might have about those things. So firstly, can you kind of just explain um, positive affect and maybe like what it is to somebody who's maybe never heard the term before, some nuances about it, stuff like that?
0: Yeah, of course. So when I think about positive affect, I think about it in two separate ways. So we have what's known as trait, positive affect. So this is, I think we all kind of know someone who's high in trait positive affect. Like they just seem to be happy, genuinely happy. Not So I think you and I are probably going to get to that whole toxic positivity kind of yeah. showing that you're happy, but really you're not feeling positive. So I'm going to put that to the side just for a second. Okay. Um, but we all know someone who's just just generally happy. Right? They like, it doesn't, a lot doesn't really seem to phase them. They just kind of move through life and they just tend to have higher trait levels of positive affect. And we also might know people who, just in general, don't tend to be super happy, even when maybe circumstances in their life might suggest that they maybe quote unquote should be happy. Although, again, that's a separate issue. And they might be a little bit lower. So, The trait part of positive affect is kind of how you generally feel. The second part of positive affect would be state positive affect. Mm. So these are specific emotions that you feel over the course of the day. So, you know, I, uh, right now in this very moment during this podcast, I'm really excited, right? So that's kind of my main positive emotion, but I'm not going to be excited for like 24 hours. I don't think my body can support that kind of excitement. Right. Um, Or, you know, you might be going about your day and you think about, you know, wow, I'm really grateful for that person. Or I'm really grateful for my child or my parent. And you might feel grateful for a minute or 30 seconds and then kind of go back to your, what I would say more, you know, normal state, your trait. Affect levels. So we study them differently. They are very different concepts, how we generally mm-hmm. feel versus how likely we are to feel something kind of more on a moment by moment basis.
1: Cool. So is there um, a relationship between the two where if you go through like, a, is, is your, I guess what I'm asking is, is your state Positive affect, like, does it change? Can you cultivate more or less by affecting your trait, positive affect? Or is there value in doing so?
0: Yes, I love I love that question. That is a question that so many emotion researchers are trying to look into. And one of the reasons that I got super interested in positive affect is – In psychology research and emotion research, we've been studying concepts like anger and depression and kind of these negative affective states since basically it began around World War II, right? We realized those were super important, especially to our troops. And so that's kind of what began that area of research. But the study of positive affect is fairly new. We've only been investigating this seriously for maybe 30 years now, so we're playing a lot of catch-up. So we don't know as much as I would like us to know. (laughs) Um, So, you know, kind of keeping that in mind, yes, current research does show that there are some ways that we can increase our state affect. So there are ways that we can cultivate the emotions of you know compassion, gratitude, uh, excitement, you know calm is a, an emotion that people are really starting to be excited about because it seems that the emotion of calm, and I'm sure that you and many of your listeners have experienced this emotion, especially during maybe meditation or meditative practices. That is like this kind of new exciting line of research is showing that that might be especially good for our health. So yes, we can kind of move our state affect a little bit. Our trait affect is more difficult to change. That kind of involves a lot more intensive intervention. And the ones that the research are investigating, there's nothing that I would point to and say, yes, that's the way to do it. Mm -hmm. The jury is still kind of out on that specific area.
1: Right. So because I'm also wondering, so I see like your dissertation was about um, kind of like fake smiling versus real smiling. So I guess that's um, the the real thing that I'm trying to get at and trying to dig and find out is, is fake it till you make it? Is there value in that? Um, Like so not talking about toxic positivity necessarily where we're just trying to be love and light all the time, but talking about like – because so I see that you've done this research, but I didn't read it. So I don't know what the outcome was. Um, oh, yeah. So is there any value in – like what's, <laughs> what's, what did you find about fake versus real s- smiling? Can you tell me more about that?
0: Yeah. So in my research, it seems that across – you know, a variety of different outcomes that fake smiling is not as beneficial as genuine smiling. So we have two different, well, actually there are hundreds of different types of smiles with various degrees of importance and what they're portraying to people. And that's kind of a whole area in and of itself. But the two types of smiles that most research on smiling ends up looking at are what's known as these kind of social smiles or, you know, not genuine smiles. They're called non duchesne smiles. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other kind of smile are genuine smiles. And these are Duchesne. And Duchesne was a a researcher from, you know, an electrophysiologist from a long time ago. So that's, he got to name his own smile. Um, And so, you know, the genuine smiles are thought to be Uh, an indicator that you're actually feeling positive emotion and the difference there is that our eyes crinkle up too so our you know our cheeks raise and our eyes crinkle and we can generally tell like that person is actually feeling positive emotion but on the flip side those non Duchenne smiles uh many of us have experienced them at starbucks for example (laughs) i used to work at starbucks and i definitely did some non Duchenne smiles (laughs) So that's when your cheeks are raised, but it doesn't seem like the smile reaches the eyes. And it turns out that people are pretty good at distinguishing between those two types of smiles. We often know when someone is not truly being genuine. So in general, it's, you know, we the Duchenne smiles, those genuine smiles are better for multiple health outcomes than non duchenne smiles, but there's a lot more research that needs to be done to really figure out what's going on there.
1: Totally. Well, so could somebody with that knowledge then start faking their smiles and make their eyes crinkle? Does that still – I don't know. Maybe that's a silly question. Yes. <laughs> but –
0: no, you're asking like a million dollar question. This is one of the huge yeah. debates in the field. Can we fake, like, can we fake a genuine smile, right? So if I know I study smiles, if I know that I all I need to do is activate all these muscles, but I'm not really feeling positive, but can I still fake it? And the most current research on the topic confusingly says, yes, people can actually fake genuine smiles. But we really don't know whether that's good or bad yet. So we, we can fake them. But is that going to be the same as feeling that positive emotion? I would argue no, that there's going to be differences between a fake genuine smile and a real genuine smile. But mm-hmm. we just have not been able to kind of tease those apart yet. And that's that's a question, like seriously, that I ask myself that. <laughs> That's something that I, like, lose sleep over. (laughs) Wow, okay. Like, what what, does that even mean? What kind of smile is it then? You know, all of those questions. So super awesome question, and I'm sorry I don't have a better answer yet. No, it's cool. My
1: my inclination tells me that, like, (laughs) on a very subtle level, there's got to be some difference. You know what I mean? I don't know. But, um,
0: yes, right, exactly. I mean, if the whole difference is that a genuine smile you're actually feeling positive, then if you're not feeling positive, there's got to be some sort of distinction there. But I have yet I have yet to figure it out,
1: <laughs> yeah. So can you say a little bit more about the kind of health outcomes and other measures you use to, like in your research to kind of prove this stuff?
0: Yeah, so there are a number of different studies that have looked at different outcomes so in my dissertation um and in some of the studies i'm doing now we have people we, we manipulate people's smiles so we're cuz we're kind of asking you know if we just if people solely activate these muscles but aren't feeling that positive emotion what what is going to happen? Like, what is that right. good for? Can it be good? So we actually have people hold some studies have pens, so I'll demonstrate it with a pen, but often we have um, chopsticks that people hold. And so we just tell them to put it in their mouth and to kind of activate these specific muscles. So we'll be like, hold this. And then that activates their cheeks. And then we also God. ask them to kind of crinkle their eyes to create this Duchenne smile. Because one question that I want to ask in my research is whether there's a direct physiological connection between activating these muscles and physiological outcomes. So Mm -hmm. there's some evidence that if we kind of activate these genuine smile muscles that it might be good for recovering from stress for our cardiovascular system. This is something that I was investigating in my dissertation, and like all dissertations, it was messy, and, and you know, there's not a firm conclusion. Um, right. But we did have some suggestion that this could be the case. So, and of course, that brings up all of the questions that you and I were just talking about. So, what does that mean? If if I can just make you do a genuine smile, can that still be good for your cardiovascular physiology? And that is something that we're still looking into.
1: Interesting. Yeah. It's just bringing to mind – because. so my mother-in-law has told me that I have an emoji face because I smile with my eyes. Like in general, my eyes go up (laughs) when I smile. And So I I was thinking about that, like with a mask on, you know, normally when you're in public, like at Starbucks, you might give somebody the little, you know, half smile thing without your eyes. But I was practicing when I, you know, wearing a mask in public, smiling with my eyes even more doing that little half smile thing. That's just a little aside that came to mind. But um, I see you've you've done a decent amount of research around um, this stuff and how it kind of relates to specifically doctor visits and memory and pain. So those are three big different areas. We don't have to address them all right this second, but um, I'm interested by the doctor visits because I use that in my research too around yoga for trauma as like kind of an indicator of overall health. Um, So can you say a little bit more about that?
0: Yeah. So, um, so the memory and pain article that you see, I'll just say that really quickly, that didn't have anything to do with smiles. That was kind of a different, um, it was a collaboration with one of our, uh, with many like psychology and law people. So it was kind of like a memory, like remembering certain aspects of pain. Um, So that's a little bit different since that didn't have that positive emotion component. Mm. But for the other study that did include smiles, we, so it was kind of a different, so in part of my research, we manipulate smiles. So we make people smile or not smile and kind of figure out what's going on there. For another I guess, section of my research, we look at whether people are smiling in photographs. So Mm. because we have a hypothesis that, you know, what does that mean? Right? So if I think some people are more likely than others to smile in photographs, but obviously it's probably not a feeling of genuine emotion because I'm probably not super happy that I'm, you know, having my student ID photograph taken, or maybe I am. So there's all these questions there. So we took the pictures from, I think 200 or 400, I forget how many student identification cards, and we just coded them. So are they activating their eyes and their cheeks are they just activating their cheeks or are they not smiling at all? Kind of what, what are they doing? And then we ask the students in the past year, how often have they gone to a healthcare center? And I, I'm so happy that you brought up, you know, using that as an indicator of health. Most studies that ask people, you know, how often have you been to a healthcare center in the past year? They don't ask them why they just ask mm. have you gone and we so oftentimes it is safe to assume okay if you're going to a health healthcare center you're probably sick right you probably have right. a cold or something wrong or you broke a bone or you know it's all different kinds of bad reasons why you would go but we also wanted to ask well, what about for good reasons? What about for Mm. preventive reasons? So what about people who are getting, you know, women who are getting birth control or people who are filling a prescription, you know, this is student health. So this is kind of a one-stop area. So they can fill a a prescription for a disease they're trying to manage or, you know, all different kinds of, maybe they're doing a wellness check right? That's, that's a good reason to go to a doctor. Yeah. That doesn't mean you're sick. That means that you're trying not to be sick, right? And so I think it's really important for studies that ask that question to kind of tease apart, are these good visits, <laughs> kind of good or bad visits, right? What's happening behind the scenes? And so we actually found that people who were um, smiling in their student ID cards were more likely to have visited the healthcare center for those good preventive reasons mm. than for you know right than than the people who weren't smiling. So that, I feel like just all, all research ever just brings up a thousand more questions (laughs) than it actually answers. So, um, I'm doing a follow-up study right now to, to try to figure out what could be the reason for that finding. It it wasn't positive emotion in my first study, um, which I found super interesting because that was my hypothesis that maybe people Mm. are... Smiling more because they're just happier. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe the people who smile genuinely in photographs actually feel happy, um, but that wasn't the case. And so now we're trying to figure out what's what's the what's the reason behind that finding, right? So is it maybe they're just more likely to be agreeable? So these people are, you know, if, if someone tells you to smile in a photograph, you smile. If someone tells you, oh, you should go to the doctor, you go to the doctor. These people are just higher in agreeableness, right? So there's yeah. there's so many other questions. And so I'm trying to answer some of those in a study that I'm currently doing.
1: Wow. Okay. So just quick clarification question. So you're saying – because my inclination when you were saying that was that maybe the people that were genuinely smi- smiling in their – Photos might have a higher state positive affect, but I don't know how you would – so you were saying you didn't find that to be the case or how? like how did you look at that or what did you find there?
0: Yes. So we looked – I believe we only looked at trait positive affect because – if to to fully investigate state positive affect, we would have had to ask them when they had their picture taken. How are you feeling right now? Mm, and right. we didn't have we we didn't have that ability, right? We were kind of doing it after the fact, so we only looked at trait affect. And I can imagine that maybe I mean I would love to do that study to kind of hang out where the student ID photographs are taken, and I'm like, how are you feeling right now? Just tell me. Thank you. Right. Because <laughs> um, I think. I personally think that that would be – that makes a lot more sense to me, Um, that state affect affects how they're smiling, not necessarily trait affect. So that would be an awesome future study. Um, But I – in order to look at trait positive affect, I did some – I don't – no, I don't want to get into like super complicated statistics, but I tested whether it was a mediator. So whether smiling was connected to trait positive affect and then whether trait positive affect was then connected to um, those preventive healthcare visits. And those analyses did not pan out, which means Mm. that it wasn't kind of a contributing factor.
1: That's so interesting. And I'm glad we're like, teasing all this out, because I think it's really important. Um, One thing that I like to focus on is how research actually works and how we like come to the conclusions that we do. So thanks so much for answering these like really in-depth questions, because I think it's important for like a lot of people to start to have an understanding of it's it's super complicated, the stuff that you do. Yeah. So, um, I completely um,
0: agree. And I think it's especially important right now when there's all of this misinformation kind of floating Mm -hmm. around about various scientific pursuits and having, being able to kind of look at these studies and think, okay, what, what did they actually do? How did they do that? I I think that's Mm -hmm. super important. I tell that to my students in research methods all the time. So I'm glad that you talk about that too.
1: Yeah. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about, um, the psychosomatics piece that you find. So I guess you were just saying that you found that um, that the trait positive affect was not, or at least you couldn't prove that it was related to health outcomes. Um, can you talk right. about maybe some findings you have found about how those things are related or if they are?
0: Yeah. Yes. Yes. So I – I'm trying to think. I personally have not done any specific studies on trait affect, trait positive affect and health, um, but my PhD advisor and my, my good friend, uh, Dr. Sarah Pressman, she that's her whole research area, distinguishing between different kinds of positive emotion, whether they're good for health she wrote a review paper. um, So just to kind of clarify for your listeners in case people aren't familiar, a review paper looks at all of the research in a certain area and tries to figure out, okay, what's actually, what are the findings? What in general, what is the research saying? And she did it on positive affect and health. And it it turns out positive affect is good for all kinds of things. There's evidence that trait positive affect, um, is beneficial for longevity. So happier people live longer, which is still kind of a wild, I I just, I sometimes still can't believe it. That finding is so strong. Um, it's good for various illness trajectories. So people who have been, Diagnosed with a chronic illness, but those who have higher trait positive affect, um, for some illnesses, it can be helpful and kind of keep people from developing, um, you know, negative consequences from their disease too quickly. It's been shown to be good for our physiology. Um, It can help our immune systems function better, our cardiovascular systems function better. I mean, it's getting to the point where if you name A health outcome, positive affect is probably good for it. It's overwhelming to me. And I think that it's not talked about enough. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say, and of course, you know, I'm going to say a caveat here, you know, pretending to be happy or you know forcing yourself to kind of do these happiness things like those those aren't beneficial right you you right. don't want to be pretend feeling something or you know feel like you have to just put on a stiff upper lip or if you're positive you can think your way out of cancer that's right positive psychology yeah. has gotten a really bad rap for those kinds of misinformation areas um so I definitely am not saying that you know if you're suffering from a chronic illness being positive is not going to cure you, right? That's right. not what we're going with here, but it could help the trajectory of the disease.
1: Mm. So, could you say a little bit more about maybe, and, and this might be a little bit like maybe the research doesn't say that, or you've already pointed to it like it was just your advisor's research, but in from what you've seen, via whether that's in research or like in life, um, what are some things that improve the Trait positive affect, or some things that could be detrimental, like you say, that might look more like faking it.
0: Um, yeah. So the the two areas that I'm currently convinced by that I do think can help your trait positive affect are meditation and gratitude. So to mm-hmm. me, the meditation research is some of the strongest on positive affect because you cultivate, you know, all different kinds of emotions. Most important to me, at least, are calm and compassion. And these really do seem like they can have lasting effects on our trait positive affect. Um, You know, it takes a lot of work. So it's not like, oh, if you meditate five minutes every day for a week, you're happy now, right? I wish (laughs) that was how it worked. But it's really kind of creating a practice in your life that can have lasting effects. But those lasting effects only continue if you continue your practice. So it's not just, right. you know, I, I did that and now I'm, I'm done. Just kind of cultivating that practice, even a few minutes a day, though, has been shown to be very helpful. So I'm currently very convinced by that. Um, nice. The other area that I really, really think is strong, has a strong case for improving our trait positive affect is gratitude practice. So these can be things like keeping a gratitude journal. So just writing Mm -hmm. down five things that you're grateful for every night. It's so easy or every morning or whenever you want to do it. I Love it. I don't practice all of the interventions that I probably should, but I do do gratitude journaling because it just makes you feel really warm and fuzzy and like small things, right? It's not like, oh, I'm so grateful that I got this brand new job and I'm so great. Like, no, I'm grateful that like I got to catch up with my friend for a few minutes today, or you know, my son or daughter said something really funny, (laughs) and so I was grateful for that moment, you know. Um, so those I think are the most. What I have seen in the literature to be the most convincing to maybe be able to change your trait positive affect. Um, as for kind of the flip side of that, for toxic things that you can do or, you know, where you're kind of going about it the wrong way, I usually tell people that if it doesn't, if it's not enjoyable to do, then it's not working for you. Right, mm. So uh, the example that I think of all the time is, you know, all of my friends and family know that I've practiced yoga for like, you know, half of my life and yeah. many of them want to try it. And, you know, some of them, after they do it for a little bit, they're like, man, like there must be something wrong with me. I just don't like yoga. And I'm like, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I mean, you need to know that, right? Like there are so right. many things that I don't like to do that other people like to do that make them happy. So I really think it's more of a self-knowledge thing. Like I am Mm. well aware of what makes me happy. And we all just have to carve out, try as hard as we can to carve out at least a little time to do those things. But what makes me happy is not going to be the same as what makes you happy. And that's what makes the world go around. So doing something just because it works for someone else, I think that's the biggest mistake that I see.
1: Nice. I love that. So some things I think I'm hearing you say are like there's no magic pill, and there's no there's also no I prescription wish. that works for everybody it's it's all a practice of um you know doing it consistently over time and not listening yes. to what finds somebody else's bliss like following your own bliss is that
0: Yes. And I would also say, you know, and trying new things I think is really important because how can you know whether you like something or not if you haven't tried it at least once? So just, you know, being open to new experience, I think can also really help cultivate that feeling of self-knowledge.
1: Nice. I love that. So could you say anything more perhaps about either your yoga practice or your research—maybe um, a big summary you want to leave us with or main point. Oh yeah! Wow. Great um, question. I know.
0: I know. I know. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I think. I think my biggest point would probably be: do what makes you happy, not what makes other people happy. And I think my second point would be negative emotions also have a purpose. Don't Mm. try to shy away from genuine feeling ever. Don't feel that you shouldn't be feeling sad or that you shouldn't be feeling anxious or you shouldn't be feeling stressed. Those all have a purpose in our lives. I think being able to recognize our emotional state and acknowledge it is incredibly valuable. And just trying to not feel negative emotions, that's extremely unhealthy as well. So, finding that really beautiful balance between, you know, yeah, in general, we all want to feel happy as much as possible. But if you're ever not feeling positive, that's okay. Embrace it. It's all part of the human experience.
1: Awesome. I love that. And it sounds like a really practical application of the fake versus real smile research. Um, yeah. Yes.
0: Beautiful. Yeah, I like to think so.
1: <laughs> yeah, way to put a bow on that. I love it.
0: Oh, uh, thanks. <laughs>
1: cool. Well, do you have any um I mean okay, so I should have asked you this beforehand, but sometimes people come on the show and they're like, Oh, buy my book or whatever you know, do you have if people were to want to contact? Oh, any promotions. <laughs> you, do you want people to contact yeah. you or not? <laughs>
0: Of course I would be so and yes I would be so you. happy to yeah. ch- chat with anyone. Yes, yes, so I don't I don't have a book. I'm not quite that fancy. I wish. Yeah. Um but you can easily look me up. Um you can look up any professor actually. So uh again yeah. my name is Marie Cross and if you just google Marie Cross, Penn State. I'll pop right up, and my email address is right on that page. I'd be so happy to, like I said, chat with anyone, answer any questions,
1: provide awesome. you with any
0: you know studies in a certain area. That would be awesome. So yeah, that that'll be my little my little plug to come talk with me.
1: <laughs> Very nice, a professor with an open door policy. I love it. Um, yes. <laughs> cool. Well. Thank you so much for being here today.
0: Thank you so much for having me. This is a wonderful podcast, and um, I hope that your listeners enjoyed it.
1: Thanks. Well, that concludes today's episode and sets me up perfectly to describe what I was going to describe in the next episode about um, emotional awareness and how good it is for kind of combating what some people call this toxic positivity and how important it is to maintain um, healthy, positive emotions more of the time because if you don't feel – like you have to feel it to heal it, some people say. So we'll talk about that more next time about emotional awareness and what that does for your um, mental health especially But and how yoga can help. So stay tuned for that episode coming out next week related to toxic positivity. And some of the things we just barely touched on this episode – but didn't get there. So as promised that will be coming out next week. And as always, if you want to find me, you can find me uh YogiScopes on all the platforms, yogiscopes.com, y o g i s Y-O-G-I-S-C-O-P-E-S. c o p e s. That's where you can schedule a reading. I have an astrology blog up there. Um you can find the podcast episodes. Well, you're already at the podcast episode, but I'm working on a blog with more detailed show notes. There, so I'm going back and doing some old episodes. So lots of cool stuff on my website. Please check it out. Please connect with me on Instagram, Yogiscope, same handle. Facebook, same handle. Um, you can find me any of those places, and please join my new Facebook group where we can. I like, I love to share astrology memes there, and I made a yoga. I have a yoga memes Facebook group too, and I think sometimes people there don't always enjoy the astrology memes as much as I do. But so the yoga and astrology Facebook group, you can find it in my link tree. I'll post the, just the link tree itself in the show notes and you can find a link to that group. Please join it. Please tell me you heard about it from the podcast. It'll just be a great place to have some, some community around yoga and astrology used together and around this podcast. And we'll share some laughs, share some fun, some stories, some learning. Whatever. It'll be, you know, it's fun. I love Facebook groups personally more than Instagram. I use Facebook more than Instagram. So if you want to find me, that's a good way. Um, Or if you want to book a reading to me, if you're with me, if you're ready to work kind of one-on-one, please do so at the scheduler on my website or you can email me. And now remember to always keep your feet on the ground, your head in the stars, and stay in the light. talk to you next time.